take the blue pill or storm the capital in honor of a glitch what? in the matrix <laughs> what film's reality would you most want to be trapped in uh, I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with Call Me By Your Name, which is going to make me sound gross. I just want to live in an Italian mansion with lots of sunlight, and it's warm outside, and there's very low stakes. And if there's some people getting it on after midnight in the house, that's fine, too. I want to be what the if beach. they're eating each other? That's fine. I mean, like, literally, no. Just Katie, eat, you're eat, a you know, sick you know freak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am Matt Patches. I'm going to say, because I've, I've watched it like three times in the last week, I'm going to go with Cars. Because what would they think of me, this fleshy human type in their world? See, you called me gross, but Patches is the one who said fleshy human type, so who's the cannibal now? <laughs> hey, it's me, David the Seven. I'm going to go with Into the Spider-Verse, because it's the universe where I'm most likely to be a Spider-Man. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I have no idea. Let's let's go with... Uh, mm, I think it's mm. Godzilla, actually. This is the new rule. If you can't decide on something, you're <laughs> right. Godzilla that's, universe. That's a shame. Uh, can it at least be the original 1954 Godzilla, so I can be in Japan? You want to be in Japan uh, during that Godzilla? Sure. <laughs> I, I, Dave, I want to say I take your point. I just don't really want to be in America anymore right now um, or anywhere that's that close to my apartment. I, Do I would, they have daycare in Godzilla in Tokyo? That I'll go, maybe, I'll go anywhere for someone who's willing to watch my son for eight hours while I can work <laughs> or sleep. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 334, and it's pandemic 46. That's the week of Wednesday, February 3rd, 2021, which is the day that in 1863, Samuel Clemens published for the first time as Mark Twain. I don't think I realized that Mark Twain's whole rise really coincided with the Civil War. That's probably mm-hmm. it's obvious. There are probably countless uh, essays, books on that topic. No, I'm sure I did. But like when you're a kid and you learn about like the 1800s, it all kind of blends together. And then only later you're like, oh, wow, okay. These periods of time were very different from each other if you think about it. Well, yeah, I do well. remember being like eight or nine and being like, why are there Union soldiers with my cowboys? And it's just, mm. I had no idea. Yeah, that was pretty complicated. Uh, That's why so they had the this... cupboard. You could put all the toys into it, and they would all magically come to life. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Timor Bekmabamtov's Union Soldiers vs. Cowboys. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it appears that our threats of a Godzilla week every week were heard because we have reviews this week. Uh, so no Godzilla content except for David moving to Godzilla <laughs> Tokyo. Um, yeah. David, would you like to read some reviews? Uh, always. Uh, an apology to whoever was kind enough to leave us a review this week. I am I am not feeling very well. As you can tell, my, my usual luster and zeal in reading uh, these reviews <laughs> may be missing. This episode, I promise, it's no reflection on, on you. Um, unless it is. It, it could, you could compound my, my sickness. It's hard to say. Uh, Woven's Trap says, so good. I discovered this show in December. It was just what I needed, and I've been gleefully going back through the archives. I'll skip the usual compliments, but I did want to say, first of all, editorial note, why, why skip the usual compliments? <laughs> we, we need the usual compliments, please. David we, needs we them more them. than ever. <laughs> My, I absolutely. Uh, it's like, we'll skip the usual water that you need this week. No, we need, we need that. Thank you. But I did want to say that I often picture the chats taking place at a bright and sunny weekend morning on a balcony, perhaps. 
while the hosts enjoy a leisurely New York City brunch with croissants. David's tone is wow. definitely leaning into that fantasy. <laughs> that's yeah, that's I mean, the cinematic universe are, I want to live in now. We are recording this review on the uh, first night of the biggest snowstorm New York has had in, uh, in years. Uh, and it is a really frigid death. Tra- I'm wearing two pairs of pants right now. I'm wearing a pair of jeans and then a pair of sweatpants over them and fingerless Whoa. gloves. Soft pants and, and hard pants. Yeah. Mm. Uh, hard pants so are a controversial choice these days. Woven strap. I, I really That's like that, a uh, Tootsie Pop of pant combinations. <laughs> anyway, there is more to this review. Um, they were just evoking this level of ease, comfort, and calm, it seems to me, quite an accomplishment in the podcast medium. A comment about the movies of 2020. I cannot call to mind a single taut and twisty thriller from the past year. Has Hollywood given up on this type of movie? I'm Your Woman, The Assistant, and Baccarat don't really fit. Where are the con movies, the heist movies? What gives? I feel like we're going to talk about one tonight. Yeah, I think Um, they all got bumped to 2021. (laughs) Or... or not quite the, the same thing, but The Nest, I think, might scratch some of that itch mm. for this person. I think The Nest would, like, rub, rub that itch without a nail at the end of it, you sure. know? Sure, sure, um, sure. But the movie we're going to talk about tonight, I, I think, is definitely a throwback to the golden age of those films. And so maybe Woven Strap, it will, it'll satisfy you. Thank you for the review. Shells, 725. Shells, 725. says, please talk about Godzilla every week. Well, Shells... <laughs> You have played a part in making sure that didn't happen. So, good going. Long-time listener since Akino days. I'm pretty sure I left a review when this podcast first began. Katie is the best, David is a treasure, Patches is a chaos king, and Dave is a delight who should talk about Godzilla and Kong every week. Never change. See Woven Strap. That is what happens if somebody delivers the usual compliments. Yeah. I'm all feeling a little bit better right now. Uh, thank you, Chels725. And finally, we have... Darby Cat, Darby Act, who says, amazing, great film podcast. Time for my seventh annual Fighting in the War Room review. Wow. And awesome. this year, I yield my time to the representative from Colorado to discuss more about Congress. Godzilla. <laughs> Damn it. Any recommendation for classic Kong or Godzilla films? Yes, the original Godzilla and no King Kong. Like I, I mean, obviously. No, no, you should King absolutely. Has some redeeming value. But can I just say, as I may have stated in last week's episode, who knows? It feels like so long ago now. Fuck King Kong. He brings really? nothing to the table here. Kong that meme, to no one, David. That meme Good that Lord. was going around that was like the, the King Kong. It was like Godzilla being like, I'm a radioactive uh, monster who breathes fire. And it was like King Kong. He was like, I am monk. <laughs> like, that is uh, very, very much how I feel about this. I really will only be satisfied by that movie if it starts with Godzilla ripping King Kong's dick off is the next two and a half hours just in beating. I would say because... Anyway, well, there's more to this review. Oh, okay, okay, okay. We'll, we'll have here. Okay. Thanks for making a great podcast. It feels like I get to catch up with my film friends my film friends each week. You all keep me going in these almost unbearable times. Thank you for all, or thank you all for being you and sharing that with us. Darby Act, I'm having such warm flashbacks in the previous reviews of the show. Your, your handle coming back to me like a, a warm ocean wave. Or waves in the ocean warm? I don't know. It's been a long time since I've been in one. Thanks to this fucking pandemic. But anyway, <laughs> thank you so much for this review. Dave, what were you saying? Uh, I said you should absolutely check out King Kong vs. Godzilla. It's a 1962 kaiju film. And it got a brilliant uh, Criterion release uh, two years ago. If he could get yeah, his Yeah, you notice on. how Criterion, with their, with their taste, put out all of the Godzilla films. But said, fuck you, King Kong. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, the opposite sure. is clearly true. They put the Kong they, movie in the set. Well, they put Kong, no, King I mean, Kong versus like Godzilla, pity. but not like yeah, exactly. any solo Kong. King Kong has to have Godzilla with King him. King Kong was the plus club. one to that How party? many King yeah. Kong movies are there? Don't ask. Too many. That don't and ask. most of them are just King Kong. We haven't got Guys, into Mecha This Kong. was not supposed to be the theme of this segment. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We did this. We got reviews. Sort of Dave said Mecha Kong. I feel like the bell should ring. Mecha Kong. All right. Uh, let's move on. Thank you all for leaving the review. Please, if you're out there, uh, hopefully I will be feeling better by next Monday. And uh, we can all have some fun in the segment. Leave us a review, fighting in the room. We're, we're going to have fun on the show, even if you're not feeling well. It should be noted. Like, let's you uh, get wow. people hype here. We're, we're... I really, really just waiting for next week to be like, well, guys. <laughs> Don't skip this episode. <laughs> this episode is essential. I am trying to plant the seeds. and You guys are going to be like, the writing was really on the wall. Well, it's the time of year in which, for the last few years, usually it's Patches and David who are heading off to Sundance, and they come back and they have seen a whole bunch of movies that none of us have ever heard of, and uh, we'll see someday. Uh, but this year, I got to go to Sundance, and I went to and see I got a bunch of movies that no one has quotes, seen. To quote unquote, yeah, to see a bunch of movies no one has seen, and also Judas and the Black Messiah, which will be out in like two weeks. Um, but I'm at Sundance. I think it's been a really interesting, like, virtual festival experience. And maybe we can get into that, like, whether or not pe- people might not care. But, like, it has felt more like being at a festival than, like, Toronto did. It's not really? just like, pressing play on movies. Yeah, I mean, there's just been, like, events tied into it. Like, there's they make an effort on the Q&As. Like, Sundance really went out of its way to try to have all these, like, VR party spaces, which are weird. But, you know, they're there. Uh, I'm writing an, an article that by the time you hear this is be live about just, like, the weird party experience of it. Um, I don't I, know. I, it also, I, want, I just want to second that and say, I, I mean, not that I, I hold that against Toronto. They were really first out the gate. No, not at all. Um, of, of doing this and Sundance is building on what they started, uh, using the same company, Shift72, to make these online viewing platforms. I have some, which are remarkable. It's great that we have them. I have some very small quibbles about navigating Shift72, which seem like very easily overcome. And I don't know why, after spending all this money to build this infrastructure, <laughs> they can't like actually color code the movies or organize them or allow you to organize them. Why their Apple TV app doesn't or, have a search yeah, function. It's insane. Anyway, um, Sundance itself sometimes feels more like a location, more like a scene than Toronto does, mostly because in Toronto we're really running around like chickens with our heads cut off from movie to movie. Um, well, in Toronto, you're in the middle of a city that's got other shit going on. This is true Sundance, as well. like it's Sundance, pretty much the whole game. That's right, and uh, which you know it's unfortunate for a lot of the businesses in Park City this year. But uh, Sundance, the yeah, I think you know as best as was possible, they did capture something close to a vibe. I think, as Katie was saying, the live Q and As um, and intros really. It sounds like a little thing, but that really helped the feeling of being in on a communal event. Even if you were watching them not live, if you had a pass that let you sort of stream the movies whenever, they would they would have that same feeling. They would link to YouTube uh, Q and A's that had been recorded and put online. I mean, it was it had that same that same vibe. Um, yeah, they made the effort, which is yeah. I think is also very helpful for these movies that like. A lot of them don't have big stars. A lot of them, it's their first time making a movie. Like, the, the support, I think, it gives to people to make their film premiere feel like an event, even though they're stuck at home, I think is worthwhile. I, I agree with all that, but I, I do wonder if this festival, if this version of the festival has had the kind of same 
gravitational pull on the outside audience. No, I would say definitely It doesn't not. feel like it. Uh, it I, mean, I mean, Sundance rarely does anyway. Well, Sundance this struggles. Is, like, when you're not at yes. Sundance, you I would just caution that we are not at all, in, and this is maybe a reference to All Light any, Everywhere, if anyone saw that film about the uh, the blind spots that we have in surveillance uh, technology. Um <laughs> But uh, I think we are not in a position to, to judge that accurately. I think we are a little bit too much in the eye of the storm. But I would be curious to hear more from our listeners as to whether they got a, a sense of something that's happening relative to previous years. Well, I mean, I'm I'm judging it based on like putting our reactions out there and and publishing reviews out of the festival. It just doesn't seem like anything is popping as as much. Even for us. more so than an average Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually, like everyone. Kind of, and 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 maybe because this one is condensed, it's a lot shorter. It felt like this weekend yeah. there was a lot of action yes. there happening and on social yeah. media. But you know, when when Sundance lasts a week and uh, there are no the movies, the normal movies take a pause. Like nothing is really happening. We're in that stagnant situation where all the Oscar movies are kind of out there. We're waiting for the Oscars to happen. Now we get to do Sundance. We're like, let's talk a bunch of bunch of fresh movies. Uh, I don't know. The excitement level wasn't there. The interaction level wasn't there. It wasn't as much popping, as much to discover, because I mean, there were so few movies in the festival. I'm so, glad yeah. that it was only a week long, just because I think similar to how exhausting a Zoom call can be doing right. no, I agree. a virtual festival mm-hmm. is is so draining in a way that... Because you don't have the adrenaline of being there and being in the scene and running around. You're doing exactly. your laundry and you're tending with your kids. Yeah. And it's just... It, it takes a lot more effort to, to get through a movie. And sometimes that effort is not as rewarded simply because of the venue room which you're in. But... Uh, it did feel like it was really everyone was locked in this weekend and we were all sort of watching the same movies. And what were those all. movies? What's popping this year at the But Sunday it does feel like, so you know, we're recording this on Monday night and it does feel, even though I have more outstanding Sunday assignments to do, it does feel like the festival kind of ended abruptly on Sunday. Yes, it's a very strange feeling. But things, ha- I mean, things are popping. I'm seeing good movies at Sundance this year. That's I mean, what's exciting. Co- do you want to start with the opening night film that sold for an absolutely bonkers an $25 absolutely million? Bon- dollars? Yeah, yes. I mean, if you want to talk about something that's going to break out from the bonds of Sundance, like I guess the the, the money is literally on Coda, um, which I it's the only movie I've written about so far. It might be the only one. We're not doing very many reviews, but I really loved it. I watched it on my couch, like thinking like, oh my God, an audience would go completely nuts for this in person. Also, my power went out twice while I was watching it and I still was really into it, which has to be another uh, Did thing Did the movie keep going regardless, just based on the power of cinema? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I thought it might just like get my TV to work back to life. Katie, can you um, tell us what CODA is about? Sure. It is a story. CODA stands for Children of Deaf Adults. It's a real term, and it is about a teenage girl who is the only hearing person in her family with her parents and her brother, and they work on a fishing boat in Gloucester, yep. Massachusetts. That's how you say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she wants to be a singer. She can hear. She loves to sing. She joins the choir. Her choir teacher encourages her to apply to the School of Music, but her family, it's not the average teenage story where your family doesn't get it because your family literally can't hear, and they kind of uh, explore that. It sounds super familiar because the movie is pretty familiar. Like it hits a lot of beats that you know are coming. But for it's me, also it's also a remake, which I didn't know until after. That's true. I'd a remake of a French movie, I think. Uh, right? and, and it's so unfair that this is the, this is true. But I have to admit that it like kind of cheapened it a little bit for me. Oh, uh, I mean, it that, sounds. It sounds. That didn't happen for me. I'm not in a way that I really hold against the movie, but it, it does sound like the movie made several significant improvements over the original. The most okay. important of which being. 
that uh, it casts actually deaf actors in yes, the role of the family. I cannot imagine. I, I cannot film. I cannot no, like, imagine how you would not do that. But um, yeah, I mean, so much of the texture of the movie you get from this family signing at the dinner table, and you hear, you know, the deaf actors like make you know sighing and making noises with their mouths that they can't hear, but it's part of how they talk. And you know, you hear, you realize that the daughter like is really attuned to hearing all of this. And this is really a performance. It. It's really a performance-driven movie. I mean, like, there's so yeah. many. There are like five different Sundance kinds of Sundance movies worth of tropes churned in together into one movie that that sounds like Sundance Mad Libs when you talk about it. But yes, but for me at least, I was like, like, I was like, like, we're going to get to the big audition. Like we're coming out. Like we're getting it to that part that I know is coming, and I was so excited about it because I was so into what the movie was. Sure, but like many Sundance breakouts past, I think a movie like this, there's a certain alchemy to it that when everything's working and all the characters feel like they're they're emanating this warmth and they're popping together where a movie like this is really able to get away with the kind of first degree murder that Denzel Washington and Rami Malek <laughs> might want to investigate in uh, yep. the little things. It's true that Jared somewhere. Leto may or may not have committed. <laughs> because uh, because they're just because they're working so well and you're really vibing off them. And this yep. was one of those for me. I mean, like that scene you're talking about, it's like in a vacuum, it, it's the kind of thing that would make my eyes roll out of my head. The audition scene? Yeah. I mean, oh, it's like yeah. so over the top yeah. and contrived. And the Damien, uh, the, the, Luckily, uh, we're not getting the Ryan Murphy version of this movie. Um, they oh, make fun I mean, of the Ryan he, Murphy. They were like, you've watched too much Glee. I thought that was funny. They, they sure, do. I forgot about that. Um, uh, why am I forgetting the name of the incredibly, uh, Dur- uh Durbez. In G- uh, Eugenio, Eugenio Durbez. Eugenio Durbez, Durbez um, yeah, the choir teacher. Yeah, He's the I mean, person like who takes this movie a little too yeah, over the top. Does not work. Yeah. Does not work. Maybe but, cut him a bit out of the movie next time. Uh, um, that scene is so effective, as is the another scene that happens right before it. I mean, it's like, it's the stuff that, that should really be criminal. Um, and it just slays. You know, it did for me. David, you've not very... yet been empowered by the courts in our land to outlaw these things, so too bad. <laughs> I am storming the cineplex. But that's because but, the lead uh... actress, this girl, Amelia Jones, is so fantastic. She really can yeah. sing, and she really gets into the other side of the role. Like They found someone family. who actually can sing. Yeah. Incredible. And she's and, British, uh... as is um, uh, her love interest, who is the lead in Sing Street, my beloved Sing Street. Um, He's not in the movie that much. His name is uh, Dio Walsh Pilo. He is the. He doesn't need. He doesn't need. His job is is just to be playing guitar and look cute. He's very cute. Um, Everyone in this movie is so good. I mean, we talked about Amelia Jones, and she is doing this kind of almost stereotypical coming of age teen role, but doing it so well, like being an adult, but feeling fragile like a kid, and sparring with her parents, which gets more physical because everybody is. Speaking in ASL, like it is a more physical experience, and I I was astonished by the movie because I'm like, why don't we see more of this? Like performing in that way, it, it, cinema really captures it and, and 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 makes it intense when they're screaming, or makes it really tender when they're talking in the bedroom and having a mom to daughter conversation. Marley Matlin plays the mom; she's a veteran, but she's never been given a role like this because they just don't write parts like this. And she's hysterical, and she's really sweet. I mean, she's a movie star, and Hollywood does not accommodate. And this guy Troy, I mean, she's had a yeah. really great career. We're saying like she won an Oscar when she was like 20, 22 and she has built a career for herself as this like the only deaf actress. Yes. Like there's just no one doing what she does, and she's done a lot with it. But you're right. But in this movie, she's not like, like the this. deaf actress, right? She's the yeah, mom. She's and the mom. It's yeah. such a, fre- a breath of fresh air. And then the guy who plays her husband is, is wacky. His name's Troy Kotzer. He was the um, 
he worked on the Mandalorian. Actually, he did the the sign language stuff for the um, the Sand People on Tatooine. What am I, what, Dave? What am I thinking of? What are their the names? Tuscan Raiders. The Tuscan Raiders. But, yes. But we need to. We and the brothers are not doing really a segment the just about Coda. Um, oh my God. Coda sold to Apple for twenty five million dollars. It is eight million dollars, almost eight million dollars more than the highest uh, sale that had previously ever been in Sundance, which is Palm Springs last year. It is a movie that uh, well, maybe Apple will put in the theaters one day. It kind of feels like the thing that could have done in a better world without COVID. Big sick type numbers over the summer, oh, yeah. uh, but now may just vanish into the void when it opens like Palmer on Apple TV at some point in the future. Who fucking knows? But you know, the money is all crazy these days. Um, yeah. The other, some other movies. Wait, okay, hang on. Let's do, let's each do one movie from Sundance since we've already been talking a long time and most of these movies are coming that's out. Good. For let's plan the podcast. Time either. Well, that's, that's <laughs> good. <laughs> It's not they, fair to the filmmakers. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> I mean, true. we'll talk about these movies again when people can actually see them. Katie raises a good point. David, what's your what's your pick of Sunday? What's the best thing you've seen? Well, shit. Um, <laughs> well, I, 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 and we'll talk about the world to come because later, which did not premiere at Sunday. Didn't so see it. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it, it's coming out next month. So, yeah, yeah we'll talk very about it. Very soon. This month, in fact. Um, oh, right. It's February. Holy Here we shit. go. Uh, so I suppose if I'm not going to talk about Christopher Makoto Yogi's I Was a Simple Man, which is sort of like a Hawaiian Uncle Boo movie with Constance Wu, I will talk about Jared Carmichael's On the Count of Three. Gerard oh, right, Carmichael's right. On the Count of Three. That's why I cut it off, because we have to fight about this movie. Oh, sure. Um, that is, you know, you may know Gerard Carmichael from such things as the Carmichael Show and his various stand-up, and of course... As part of the legendary ensemble of Neighbors 2 Sorority Rising, uh, he, in his directorial debut, co-stars with Christopher Abbott in like a, a Safties light buddy comedy that sounds on paper like some real glib edgelord nonsense, but in practice, I think works beautifully. It's the story of two lifelong friends who have both been through some some heavy shit and uh, are on the precipice of uh, suicide and they make a suicide pact. The movie opens with them pointing guns at each other's heads, uh, but they eventually decide to hold off for 24 hours and have one last bucket list like day together before they off each other. Uh, I don't think any of the stuff in this movie happens in the bucket list. I haven't seen the bucket list. In this <laughs> the bucket list could only wish. But, uh, I mean, if the Safdie brothers had made the bucket list, it might look a little bit something <laughs> like this. Uh, it is, it's the kind of thing that, as I said on paper, it feels very, I mean, Carmichael is, is known for not shying away from controversial subjects. He's one of those comedians who like to say something heavy and let it like sit in a room. Uh, not always my cup of tea. I had some uh, trepidation going into this movie. I think it shows him to be a really skillful filmmaker who so beautifully juggles tones. I mean, this movie's tone is such a delicate balancing act. And it only sort of, the plates are only spinning faster as it moves along and only uh, seem to be more stable. And, and they feel like they're going to fall off at any moment, but it only picks up energy and becomes more exciting and fun. And Christopher Abbott, who is the last person I ever thought I'd be saying these words about, gives such an endearingly... Intense, the intense part I expected, an endearingly hilarious comic performance in a very sort of tender and wounded way. And I just really love the, the energy between them and their friendship. And I thought it was a really beautiful movie about two people who are 
uh, in their in their last hours looking for something to live for um, in a way that doesn't feel prescriptive. It doesn't pass judgment on people who are suffering from clinical depression. It doesn't make light of suicide, uh, but it does have fun with all of those subjects. It's really, I thought, impressive. Patches, did you see it? I have not seen this one yet, but it sounds okay. like I should wait until it comes out and we can really get into it. I, yeah, I would be interested for you to weigh in. It's interesting to me, like, hearing David talk about it spinning the plates of tone, where, like, for me, like, it started off as edgelord nonsense, it ended as edgelord nonsense, and in the middle, it, like, kind of felt like it was finding a rhythm about it, and then kind of just took off in some directions that I couldn't follow it. Um, but we saw the same movie, and we felt totally different ways about how it balanced the tone, which is maybe what's fun about Sundance, is because a lot of these <laughs> movies are, like, less polished and, like, studio-approved than stuff that you see at Toronto or something. Um, but I did like Christopher Abbott, who I had kind of gotten used to not liking, like, like I, had, I saw Black Bear and I saw The World to Come, which he's in, and both of them were just like, oh, come on, this guy's just going to mope. Like, but I like him in this a lot for the reasons that you were saying. He is, you know, he is that intense. Ever since James White, I mean, maybe even before, even on Girls, he is this yeah. very particular brooding energy. It, it always makes me laugh that he's from Greenwich, but when I interviewed him, uh, as part of something for the world to come, he was like from like the tough part of Greenwich, which, you know, in <laughs> fairness, I, I, I recognize the truth of what he's saying. I mean, I know that everybody's talking about it, it all checks out, but, um, it, it, it's still, it's still funny. But, uh, I thought he's only becoming more interesting with every subsequent performance for me. I think Black Bear is a really not a movie to use against him just because I think his performance there is really doing interesting things with his energy um, and, and playing with it and, and having a lot of fun uh, and flipping it on itself in the way that the movie's constantly works. He is just doing Christopher Abbott in The World to Come, which is a wonderful movie, and he fills that part well, but it doesn't really give him the flexibility to uh, show us anything new. But yes, ex- we'll talk about The World to Come, but Casey Affleck is, is in a similar kind of like limited role and doesn't Oh, but Casey but Affleck, I, I know a complicated character, but he has to find such heart in that performance. But uh, Oh, yeah, um, that's what I'm... That's, yeah. And Chris Rabbit does not, but it's not asked to. Yes, uh, that, but he does. He does here. He, he does here, and uh, I, I, his character is just really. I mean, there. It would not be a spoiler to say that they're the most beautiful moment I've ever seen on screen involving someone scream singing along to Papa Roach. Uh, it's really, um, really tender and affecting, and. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I was very impressed with this movie. But. Yeah, I will not try to take it away from you or anyone else who liked it. But I will say that when this movie comes out, people who are concerned with, you know, like if, for people who are pay attention to like putting a suicide trigger warning on posts about people committing suicide, they're going to lose their minds over this movie because it does not uh, handle the topic with the level of sensitivity that you might imagine uh, other people will. Who should go next, Hatches? You or me? I talked a lot. You should. Oh, okay. I'll go. Let me bring up a movie that I hope David saw because I don't think we'll ever talk about on the podcast again because Katie hates Ben Wheatley. Um, And that would be. (laughs) You guys can make me watch it. In the Earth. Yeah. I was debating if I should talk about In the Earth or John in the Hole. Which one will we not talk about? (laughs) Did you see both? I would rather talk about. Into the in in the earth right now. There's a there's a, yeah. uh, John in the hole. Another like strange, uh, more of a Yar, uh, Yagos Lathamos esque weird mystery box movie. Um, maybe not even a mystery box obtuse. Uh, but in the earth is a new one from Ben Wheatley. It was conceived, shot, finished all in this last year, this COVID year, um, and certainly. Began- I mean, that makes it sound like it was. 
really span, uh, took a longer amount of time it, than it did. It I was mean, produced <laughs> five times longer than any other movies. I guess a 60-day well, production I mean, schedule. With the, with the, like, write a whole script and then go and shoot it over the summer and finish it. I mean, I, I think Sunday they shot January. it secretly and like, no, you're, you're right. You're totally right. I, I, but I, it feels like they got the the bulk of lightning to do it and were like on a set a couple weeks later and, yeah, and shot for two weeks and then it was in the can. <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. And and Wheatley talked in the Q&A about how he's more and more interested and has the, because of technology, because of his success and because of the company he set up, he's able to make a film at the at the drop of a hat. He can jump into a production like this and, and turn it around. It's a unique position. Um, and more and more people are able to do it, thankfully. But uh, In the Earth is... You know, starts with something familiar. A deadly virus has ravaged the world, basically, and uh, everybody is spread out. Everyone is in quarantine. Um, the main character, who is played by Joel Fry, um, we don't really know what he's doing, but he, we see him like walking through the woods and going to a cottage in the middle of the nowhere. He's getting sprayed down, disinfected. He's getting tested to see if he's infected. He's going to work with some scientists and go uh, take a gigantic gigantic journey through the woods to to find some although they people. don't mention covid there was, for some reason when the movie started i was like is is this some sort of future pandemic they do talk about like a a third wave which in, implies a sort of like nebulous kind of future time yeah it's not a covid um, movie it's not ripped from the headlines it's just it is parallel. clearly like covid but it's not yeah it's it's not explicitly good um and i i don't want to get too far into the plot here because i don't think it necessarily matters and certainly people are going to see this movie on their own time it will definitely come out i think it played pretty well and it's accessible it's accessible by ben wheatley terms but this is much more of the kill list and field of england ben wheatley than um fuck it what was the movie rebecca ben wheatley this is not (laughs) so maybe people this is what we in the business call a return to form yes this is a return to form um Ben Wheatley wanted to make a movie about nature. This dips back into what kind of like the folklore horror of, of Kill List uh, as the doctor character, Joel Fry's character, ventures out into the woods with uh, his lab partner. Essentially, they encounter some creepy shit, some creepy people and some people who are really attached to the earth, who are trying to figure out what is at the heart of this forest, what nature can tell us uh, about the mysteries of the world. The virus is not necessarily that important to the plot. So you're not like feeling the anxiety of COVID while watching this movie start to finish, but certainly COVID has made Ben Wheatley think about our place on this planet and think about our connection to nature. Um, And in true Ben Wheatley fashion, this movie just spirals out of control in, in a psychotic, bloody, weird psychedelic way i mean the last third of this movie should i hope it airs i hope this movie starts with like trigger warnings because it's just like full strobe light effects uh something that will (laughs) definitely send people into seizures if they're not careful like he's really pushing this movie into some extreme visual territory i don't i agree that's true I don't remember the strobe effect so much as like an intense kaleidoscope effect. Yes, of there, like the sort of like twisting and there was a lot of images over images and things like sucking into the center and expanding and all sorts of weird stuff happening. But yes, yeah. they're they're performing experiments out in the woods that involve lights flashing and it is <laughs> aggressive by the end of it. Um, I guess this is a a horror movie. I guess it's like a 
Friday the 13th killer movie in some ways, but it's, it's it everything. It is definitely a horror movie. <laughs> I mean, the entire middle of this movie is like pretty identifiably and straightforward body horror. Um, There's some pretty and, gross out gore moments for sure. And the, right. And there are hints throughout that, you know, throughout that middle stretch about something bigger going on, something maybe mystical with, with the planet itself right. or uh, something ancient. And uh, anyone who maybe finds themselves a little bit too intrigued about what that might be could be disappointed by a third act that really just devolves into to flashing Hell lights no. and sounds. Um, but it is, uh, you know, for a movie that redefines what it means to commune with nature, takes it very literally. Yeah, um, I, I had a great time with it, even at home, which is only it's tough. It. Like, what is absorbing you at home? Uh, and and maybe that's why I've been having a good Sundance where it's like we get we, we watch so many of these Netflix movies and shows and I'm just like I can't keep my attention half the time. And yet I'm glued to my TV, this whole virtual Sundance. It's been really mm, Wait, didn't experience. we decide that we were going to be doing Sundance segment three and then we no. started it as the tidbit? No, that's no, no, we're that's, running you long here. in your emails. Jesus, we're running we agreed long to here. talk about the little things as segment three is the movie that we had all watched. And then you were like, no. And we we're like, no, we decided yeah. this last week. Well, I was like, we've been doing this segment for like 20 minutes. Well, later. We're running a little long. I'm going to talk okay. about one more movie, and then we're talking about another Sundance movie, which will be out next week, yes. so it'll all be together. Uh, I'm talking about Flea, which is the uh, animated documentary that Neon has picked up from Sundance, so it's another one that you know that you all see. Can you, um, can you spell it for our audience? Because this F-L-E-E, is an audio medium. F-L-E-E, Flea, as in you would flee a country, which is what the main character does. As a child, he flees Afghanistan um, in the early 90s, late 80s, kind of a, a, in general a turmoil there. He winds up in Russia and then eventually in Denmark, which is where he kind of sits down with his friend um, who is a you know, white guy who lives in Denmark uh, and tells him his story. And it's animated and but the audio sounds as if it's from kind of like a real life recording like it there's this sense of like verisimilitude to it i actually don't i assume that it's like they filmed like a documentary and then animated it. i don't actually know um and i believe that there's going to be an english made english language dubbed version with riz ahmed and nikolai coster waldow which i think would be good but would miss a lot of the like mm. authenticity of this relationship between these guys because i think that's so much of the heart of it is that They've been friends. The um, main character, I mean, has never really told his story in this way. And I think his, like, friend helps it helps him draw it out. Um, and, I mean, it just sounds really, like, dumb and privileged to say. But you're listening to this guy tell this, like, really horrifying story of escaping Afghanistan with his family and then trying to find asylum somewhere else when Russia was, like, not a hospitable place to be. And then they cut to like real footage of like refugees in the house where he was held. And you're like, Oh yeah. Like I see pictures of refugees like this all the time. And it kind of just like becomes part of the background noise. And this is a very specific story where you were so specifically horrified by what's happening to this person. And, um, you know, I think everyone experiences news reports or movies that kind of frame that that way for them. But that was a lot of the power of this and just the specificity of this guy's family. Like you get a sense of his siblings and his mother and he's gay and like spends a lot of time not telling his family about that. And that's part of his like internal struggle as he tries to, you know, grow into an adult. Um, I thought it was this really beautiful movie, really beautifully animated. Yeah, and I'm I mean, excited for people to see it. Neon is putting uh, it out, right? Yeah, Neon, neon, neon it. it. It is sort of in the same vein as something like Waltz with Bashir. That's a sure. movie that really bells for someone. Um, in the way that it uses animation to accomplish something in a documentary milieu that you, you couldn't do otherwise. Um, I, to me, the end, I mean, like, we could easily, I'm sure, look at the press notes and get the answer about this, but it, to me, it didn't look like rotoscoped. It looks, I, I think, 
Katie's yeah, I don't think it's rotoscoped. Like, that they like film the interviews, but the animation seems like it was done from from yeah, not so tracing the live action like onto a uh, an image, but just like looking at it. I don't know. I could be yeah. wrong, but I do I think, think so. that the uh, the dubbing is a big mistake. Um, I'm sure that Riz Ahmed will, will give a very heart rending performance, um, but it just feels to me like it's adding a unnecessary layer that is going to take away a lot of specificity that makes the story so powerful. Yeah. Um, well, we'll see. Hopefully both versions will be very easily available and people can choose. All right. You guys want to talk about a glitch so of the matrix? So many movies. A lot of movies. Maybe we'll have more Sundance movies to discuss next week, but we want to talk very briefly. Well, actually, hang on. Let's is let Dave a do a segue here? segment break. Yeah. Or let's let Dave a, do a segment is, break. Is an intro? <laughs> Our mini segment i have a big question for you and it's provoked prompted by this new documentary that played at sundance called a glitch in the matrix it actually comes out from magnolia this friday on vod so you can rent this movie um and you should it's a new documentary by rodney asher who did room 237 and the nightmare um in a, not exactly the same kind of mode but uh, there's a there's a line to draw between room 237 and where rodney goes with this new movie which is all about simulation theory are we living in a simulation rodney has found a lot of people who think we do <laughs> and Did, does he find out whether or not we are can you spoil it for uh, i can't tell you what happens at the end uh a lot of it's a lot of answers pill. here. Definitely only, read this one. Only then will you know. Yeah, take that red pill. Uh, yeah, he. I mean, he starts at a very interesting place, or maybe a very obvious place, where you'd probably go if you Googled, are we living in a simulation? We see Elon Musk talking about this theory a moment at, uh, actually, the Recode. I'll give props to Vox I was Media. thinking of Rainer Werner Fassbender's World on a Wire. That's where my mind goes. <laughs> uh, no, that okay. is not, that is not what blew up the internet, surprisingly enough. Um, no, Elon Musk bringing this theory into the light, or at least Elon Musk has a lot of followers. I don't know if people know this, but like people listen to this man. And when he proposes the idea that we could be living in a simulation, turns out a lot that wakes a lot of people up to that idea. Um, and Roddy has, has connected with a lot of people who for one reason or another, believe this theory. The documentary is very cool. Um, it, it renders all of its talking head interviews in kind of like 3D, they're almost like reboot style characters from that animated show Reboot, um, digital avatars, because this is not just a documentary about simulation theory. It's about how we live on the internet. It is about how we, our relationship with technology and it's also about the kind of like the cultural aspect of simulation theory. I think some of the interesting questions that it asks is, as this theory becomes more common, more popular online, uh, does it help people or does it hurt people? Is it QAnon, conspiracy theories that people replace, like people who without religion find something to believe in? Or is it actually a, an interesting scientific thought to consider um i think rodney finds people on, on both sides of that line who've learned a lot about themselves and think a lot about the world because of this theory and then other people who've caused direct harm you know one of the questions that it brings up is 
some people who wonder aloud, hey, is everything fake? Like, if everything was fake, I could just go around shooting everybody. Um, and one of these guys is like, why would that be the first thing you want to do? Why would that be anything you want to do? Even if you learned that everything was fake and had no meaning and no purpose, you would want to shoot people? That's bizarre. Why are we like this? Um, so this documentary gets into some heady space. And um, I, I would definitely recommend it. It's it's not. It still has that kind of like wink-wink can have fun with the subjects like Room 237, but um, it gets into really serious places that are important to talk about. Dave, I, I have a question to yeah. pivot to Katie. Okay. Katie, I really like Room 237. I don't like the nightmare in terms of uh, mm. Asher documentaries. The reason is, is Room 237 is a documentary about The Shining, and so I feel like... If you have a crazy opinion about art, absolutely hit us with your crazy opinion about art. The nightmare was crossing into dealing with people who have some sort of un, uh, like difficult to diagnose medical condition. And uh, there was a part of that film where he's like, one subject was like, even if you just hear about it, you could suddenly get, have night terrors, which seems like a weird thing if true, to insert in the middle mm. of a documentary you're going to release to a <laughs> bunch of people. so He's giving I, I, oxygen to these things that maybe we shouldn't be giving oxygen. Right. And so if you bring it up to the level of is the world a simulation, I'm glad to hear from Patches, who is excellent at extending empathy to people that sometimes I wouldn't, that they at least deal with the social ramifications of this. I'm going to ask Katie, is this movie dangerous for allowing a bunch of serious voices to be presented seriously mm. I, I mean i found myself more infuriated with them than like intrigued by their point of view i don't think there was ever a point where i was being like yeah so maybe we are really in the matrix like i don't think i think he is trying to take these people at their word without necessarily like buying into their worldview i do i'd like there's a point where there's someone they're interviewing where she's like that whole idea that like everything is fake and like you're the only one who's real that's school shooter mentality i was like yeah yeah, that's exactly what I've been thinking this whole time. And then it goes like very deep into the segment about someone who literally <laughs> killed his parents because he thought he was in the Matrix, basically. Um, so it, it takes that part of its... I mean, it's a news I story. Don't I don't know. I didn't know about it, actually. Yeah, no, you're I didn't right. either. It's it was reported terrifying. all over the place. But, uh, and, yeah. and, and Katie cannot spoil this part of the movie because the, Rodney gets this guy, talks to this guy who's in jail. Um, yeah. And his, his interview is just really next level it's really heavy stuff. Yeah, it's horrifying um so yeah i felt like uncomfortable and annoyed for having been in this world i don't know that like i like i would much rather be around like shining conspiracy theorists who think stanley kubrick playing the moon landing because like the thing i think this movie doesn't get into is how the whole idea of like the world how like conspiracy theories taking very real root and causing real danger like i don't need this movie to be about QAnon, but i don't know that it like takes it as seriously as it should as like a real mm. disease so if it was like it a flat me... earth documentary you would immediately be like fuck this shit oh maybe i mean it made me like want to watch a different documentary really that's like more focused on empathy that's about like really socially isolated young mostly white men who then lean on these theories as a way to understand the world uh and it, you get a little bit of that on the fringes but that's not really what it's about but i think like just like be a person, man. Like it's not that hard. Like just be be people and care for each other, and that's all you need to do. And that's what I wanted to scream at the screen the whole time. Asher, give us a documentary about something like Star Wars. Go back. Go turn around. Give us a documentary no. about U-turn. social workers. What? Uh, no. Um. I mean, I I do think 
It's Give a tough question to ask. About social workers. No, no. See, the Star Wars <laughs> one, at least you have the toxic male white guy that has opinions about art, which he seems very uh, interested in. At least that's how he's framing these documentaries. So I would, I'd be interested in... Well, first off, not everybody in this movie is white. Okay, not everybody. I, no, okay. well, I mean, you not everybody is a you man. Can't, you can't see it. You can't see, see most of them because they're hidden by these avatars. I bet. I, I bet the majority of them about, are both white and male. I think I this documentary about social workers that questions mm-hmm. whether or not social workers exist. Oh yeah. Are they, okay. All right. Are they yeah. being social <laughs> enough? Are they? Um, anyway, yeah, patches. I, I'll watch this. That's a provocative this. question, Dave. It's a provocative question. Yeah, but I watched this so we could throw down about it. I, I interviewed Rodney, and I kind of asked him the same question. Yeah, about, we got about that from the, the time when you referred to him as Rodney several times. But yeah, <laughs> okay, it's a, it's a person. Who's first, what should I call him by his full name, Mr. Mr. Asher. Asher. Mr. Asher? I spoke to Mr. Asher um, and uh, asked him about the Matrix. Is the Ma- I mean, is the Matrix? If the Matrix has inspired these things, is asking these questions in that. Wait, kind does of the pop... Matrix not come up in the movie? Oh, of course it no, comes up. No, the Matrix up. comes up. <laughs> of course it saying. comes up. But, uh, you know, the same question you're asking about Glitch in the Matrix, Dave, why wouldn't you apply that to narrative art? Why wouldn't you apply that to anything that's a- asking a provocative question without coming up with hard answers? I mean. Oh, oh, because I could show people very quickly I can't dodge bullets. So it's very empirically easy to prove that I don't live in but the this, fictional th- world. But this documentary of the grapples with that. Like, that there are people who can't. And if should you worry about who them seeing can't these movies? Not dodge bullets. You're, no, people, people who can? can't separate fantasy from reality. No, oh, yeah. Just, does it does it parlay that idea into other types of conspiratorial thinking? Because like what you're just saying now seems to resonate. Well, no, very see, now it's interesting. So much about our, our I think reality. It, I think it does. Not not not, not in such a direct way. It's not because that would just be a can of worms. But I think. You could read between the lines. You could see how people talk about this kind of stuff. I mean, I was thinking about QAnon the whole time. Because yeah, I was yeah, too. the language is the same. And like Elon Musk going on Joe Rogan's podcast, it's all the same. Um, and this is just a very like pop way of of talking about it and how it affects people. But I would hope that a savvy viewer could kind of draw Can the I line tell there. you when I when I knew that we were living in a simulation? Yes, that's what I wanted to ask was... everyone if they think we're <laughs> possibly living in a simulation. Well, I, this could be I a dangerous know. conversation. I don't want to. Yeah, sure, sure. And when it's it. funny that you mentioned it in this context, because the moment when I figured it out was when a uh, third tier actor from news radio became the single most influential voice <laughs> in uh, American <laughs> fringe thinking. Uh, that's when I knew. I'm going to say no. Who are we talking about? No. Joe Rogan. Uh, Joe Rogan. You don't uh, think we're living no. in a simulation? I don't think we're living in a simulation. I think it's immaterial, but I, if I had to ask... Uh, it just doesn't matter. That, that's the that's thing. That's the thing that... Yeah. That's where I really landed. And, like, I just... I don't get why you would think people are not... Is it not more interesting than the idea of a simulation? Like, why would you want a computer to be controlling everything when, like, people are weird and interesting and, like, our bodies are strange? Even if they are, like, imagine a computer chip, okay. But a lot of these people in the documentary talk... It doesn't feel like a choice to them. It feels like some, it feels like they had an out of body experience. The same way people used to talk on unsolved mysteries about dying and then coming back and having a whole new worldview. That's how some of these people I mean, talk yeah, about people have out of body experiences and like and they they think all kinds of dirt. I don't know. Like I guess it's not a choice. I laugh at people who of, like, speak in people. tongues because they're making it up. So why should I not laugh at these people? Ooh, God, have you ever? Because they're not oh, they're not like preaching the word. They're not false prophets. Uh, maybe. Aren't, I mean, I assume it some seems of them like are. someone just got shoved into a huge Sundance documentary platform. But again, I yeah, have to but watch we never this see movie. them because they're covered up in like that's that's actually red yeah, that's monkey a good point. 
3D polygon costumes, basically. I'm gonna we watch this, any of the subjects. and then we'll come back. I'd really, and we'll I do really like, want David. To watch we'll do this. like a speed chess round with Patches and I, where we each have some total one minute, but then can pass back and forth, and it'll it'll be fun. We'll come to a conclusion. Glitch in the Matrix coming out this week. VOD Neon, check it out. Moving on. Supernatural serial killers are a dumb trope. Guys, supernatural? I don't... What's supernatural? What? Yeah, what was supernatural about this What do you movie? think? Big okay. irises? Did you see a different cut of the little things? Mm-hmm. Than we nope, here's the thing. Every... He did get a boner during that interrogation scene. Did, that he did or get did a boner he? during the or interrogation scene. Or did he? We didn't see it. That's, That's true. true. We didn't see it. And everything about this movie is about leaving you that little ambiguity pocket to think that you've seen something deep. Yeah, it's focused on the little things. That's why they couldn't cut the little things. Exactly. Right, right, right. Because that would have been a a, a mid-sized thing. Yeah. Um, uh, (laughs) So this movie, uh, the little things, (laughs) uh, was is is a crime thriller. I'm going to describe the plot, and maybe someone who knows a little bit more about how it came to be. Could uh, go oh, into yeah, that. It has I, an interesting story, actually. It does have a very interesting story. Yeah, yeah. So no, but it's also very. I mean, it would take three seconds to lay out. Okay, uh, okay, I mean, okay. It might okay. even be worth go, doing David. very quickly. Go, David. Go. Which is just that it, this is a movie that feels like <laughs> a early '90s serial killer story in the vein of something like Seven. It's set in the early 1990s, and the reason for that is that it was written in the early 1990s. I think before Seven even, um, and so it is truly a throwback to the kind of genre that or genre genre that we, what? Uh, no, no. that we don't what what are you what are you so upset about? <laughs> we just, we just say genre. Genre. it's too late enough yeah for you to start genre. speaking with a french genre. accent no. well, it's because i butchered i butchered the american uh, pronunciation of genre the first time so i was just trying to take over it but it, it truly does feel like the kind of serial killer movie that they used to churn out in the 90s um and that one of our like something that would have come out a year or two after silence of the lands and tried to it, exactly yeah, and the reason for that is because it, it really was envisioned as being one of spielberg anyway, was gonna make this movie at some point which is insane yeah it is that's insane, insane. <laughs> so like, what in the world was spielberg instead and it's written movie? directed ultimately directed by its writer john lee hancock who did that classic thriller the blind side mm-hmm. yep yeah the reason I say supernatural serial killer is because that's this type of genre. This like even Seven's involved in it, even though Seven isn't actually supernatural. But the idea that there is a level of criminal genius you can be where you're running the machine against these broken dude cops, and that's sort of it. That's Silence of the Lambs. And that's why only Clary Starling has to like pull out of it. Whereas like in Red Dragon, male cops have to fail. That's uh, seven. That's uh, prisoners, even as far up as prisoners. It's it's all of a piece and of a line. Um, 
this one just doesn't do anything innovative enough with it to be even interesting. I think. Uh, there but aren't we? What aren't we at the point where that is its core appeal? That it's not innovative at all. <laughs> that it that is, it's a throwback. That, that it's such a. It makes me so nostalgic. And feed or feeds the nostalgia that I have. For, uh, I mean, kind of I mean, maybe that, but I don't. I think that also keeps it from rising above uh, to a certain level, as it doesn't. It doesn't take a stance. Um, Can we do a spoiler segment at the end of this? Just because I feel like sure, the, yeah, the I think we need to. Want to say, yes, yeah. <laughs> I think we really need to. So, uh, uh, just plot before we get into the spoilers. Denzel Washington plays a cop who used to be hanging around L.A. till he caught some murders. He caught a triple murder, and something happened directly after that that caused him to fuck right off the force, go upstate, become a deputy again. Stop Wait, but you're already cop. missing one very important detail. <laughs> go for it. Denzel Washington's character's name is Deputy Sheriff Joe Deke Deacon. Yeah, Deke. I was going to say uh, the names weren't important, but I suppose if that's... <laughs> Sure. <laughs> I mean, in a movie where Denzel Washington plays Deke Deacon, Rami Malek plays Detective Baxter, and Jared Leto plays a guy named Albert Sparma. Every I time they said yes, Sparma, the I thought they were are... saying Sperma. <laughs> yes. Yes. Albert Sparma is a great. I don't know what we're talking about. Spar- Albert, Albert Sparma is a great. Yeah. And then uh, Flo is the name of the, the, the coroner lady. Yeah, and they well, say her name like once, and it's like it's weird names. Anyway, um, uh, he fucked off. Uh, he comes back down to LA to get some evidence on another case, and stumbles across Rami Malik, the new detective, who I'm sure has a dumb name. David, do you remember what it is? Which Baxter, one? Detective Baxter, Rami Malik, Detective yeah. Baxter. All right, Detective Baxter has taken Deke Deacon's spot and is now caught a <laughs> series of murders. Uh, dude is uh, kidnapping uh, people and they turn up with uh, their throats slit um, either in a lake or several there there are several bodies it's kind of unclear at the beginning exactly how many uh, bodies that we're dealing with and I'm not sure if it's clear at the end but the important thing is these two cops decide to work together and they narrow down the suspects to Jared Leto in a case of it's going to be the suspect who's famous, and the second you see him, you're like, "Oh, there's the guy." Wait till we get to him. Eventually, I mean, to their to their credit, they don't spend a lot of other time on red herrings. Like, there's not really a moment where they're trying there to do anything. Like it's a not single Jared red herring. There is I mean, a the whole movie yeah. is kind of a red herring. I appreciate they... that that acknowledgement of my intelligence that like the third Oscar winner is going to be the guy. Yeah, and the shot where they introduce Leto made me laugh out loud. <laughs> yes, because you're just like waiting for him to show up, and he just like, literally leans into a shot looking like a crazy person. <laughs> And then you don't get you then you don't get back to him for like ten more minutes. Anyway, that's true. Um, uh, they they team up. They find Jared Leto. They're convinced he's the guy, but can they prove it? And Jared Leto decides to play uh, serial killer games with him, and it all ends with twists and ambigu- moral ambiguity. There you go. Anyway, that's about right. Yeah, uh, maybe just one twist. We'll see. In the macro, uh, before the the spoilers, is this well, is this the movie big effective? Twist is, that- is this? No, the big twist is that he doesn't have a boner in that scene. Or I mean, he does have a boner, but we don't have proof. We We don't have have hard evidence. Hard evidence. I did not hate watching this movie as much as I thought that I would. I mean, I I did hate watching it in some points. Like it is such a throwback. (laughs) But like, I was kind of like with it. I was like intrigued by the throwback nature of it, and like the weird. Like I feel like Rami Malek is both miscast and maybe his cast is terrible. Interesting thing about it. Someone pointed out on Twitter. I wish I could remember who because they deserve credit for making an astute 
observation that I think all we all understood at some level, which is that Rami Malek playing the most normal guy in the movie is creepier than a serial killer <laughs> yeah. in most films. I mean, well, that was the thing about it is he's like, I mean, they keep describing it, him as this like buttoned up Christian and you're like, ah, okay, that doesn't really make sense to me. But like as someone who's like supposedly a normal guy but has darkness underneath him, like that he was an interesting character. a room without you being like, where are the bodies? Yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah, yeah. It's it's a weird, it's weird. I mean, Jared Leto was at least like aptly cast as like a big long haired weirdo. Um, but like also Denzel Washington solving crimes, like there's appeal in that. Like there's a, there there's should a be. point, there is a level in which I will watch Denzel Washington like competently solve a crime for a long time. Mm. I think that's what kept me going. What points of this movie like, do you think he's competently solving a crime? Yeah. Oh, like in the beginning where he's like poking around the crime scene. He's like, look, there's a hideout across the You like the that scene where he uh, looks at milk in a refrigerator. He's like, is this new milk? <laughs> I, <laughs> it's competent. I thought that this movie was delightful. I thoroughly enjoyed what? it. I, I I wanted a two hour and change slow burn serial killer story. This one kept confusing me because it sort of it zigs. never starts. It never has yeah, like a the, it's like, gonna be this or like here we there go. There are so many tropes that have really been beaten to death since uh Jim John Lee Hancock first wrote I was about to call it do a Rodney and call him Jim. I don't know if he goes by Jim. But, um, Jimmy H. But, uh, um, that had been beaten to death since he wrote the, the original draft of the script, but it feels like this movie isn't aware of them yet. And so there, it like, there, like there, the whole thing about the pathology of the serial killer. You are being conditioned because of Dexter and Silence of the Lambs and all the other shit to think that we're really going to get in depth about, you know, whether the pathology is here, why he's framing the bodies this way. And you don't, you don't learn anything about it. You just, you know, he has some sick shit where he likes putting bodies in a certain way. But like the movie has not learned that this is something that audiences are really going to want to sink their teeth into, that there's a whole, uh, you know, line of forensics tied to it. And so, um, it's just sort of there. I mean, uh, there are so many, even the boner is a great example where, you know, Denzel Washington sees Jared Leto getting a hard on in an interrogation scene when he starts talking about the dead bodies. But like, we never see the boner and like, we have no idea what Denzel Washington is talking about. It's so weirdly edited. It's like they're missing a show. Shot, but strange. it is um, kind of emblematic of this movie that is like, like it, there is a a seven like serial killer saga happening just in the background, and this movie is kind of trying to avoid it, which I think dovetails with Deke's character of someone who is on the fence about whether or not he wants to be seduced back into this world because he has all this closure that he needs and is also still haunted in really clumsy ways, you know, with the ghosts of his, the victims. Literal uh, that he naked was able, like, women staring you know, at him from the at foot, the of, foot of, his bed. of his bed. Yeah, I mean, it's it's super hokey, but again, 30 years ago, it would seem marginally less so. Um, and That's a weird excuse. Uh, a weird yeah, that excuse is not a good movie. excuse. And it's not something yeah. I think about during the movie itself. That's like it's when just a Song of the trope. South came out, I think no. people would have been fine with it. But in it's a, a cultural in, in, in piecemeal, I think that that argument carries less weight. But on the whole, when you're watching something that like so feels from start to finish and down to its bones like a hard like a serial I think I think it's a good explanation I, I don't think totality. it's a, I don't think it's a good excuse well that is fine but there's it's, no, it's not even like fun there's no fun police like our reviewer the lack of these films like what, I, what happens in this movie that's supposed to be entertaining no it's supposed well, to be about the like section. the police works just watching the dude like which is like kind of a it's it has lots of montages of boring watching 
But it could be, uh, it could be a slow burn, really... but it, it needs to have what, like, if, in a good slow burn, aren't we, like, stewing with the main character, or we're, we're getting lost? This is not Zodiac, right? Are, no, no, the characters here are paper thin, mm-hmm. and that is part of the problem. However, I think that some of the psychology that they tap into, particularly in the spoilery elements that we'll talk about at the end, uh, are interesting. The last few minutes of this movie really sort of typified the whole experience for me because logically they make absolutely no sense and are kind of indefensible um, and would fall apart, you know, with a moment's thought. But I do feel like speak to the theme in kind of uh, unnerving ways and, and worked for me in the moment. And so I am eager to talk about that, but oh. I, I enjoyed like, watching this. It sounds like you were having one of those nights where like you had to watch a new release, but wish you were watching some 90s movie on HBO Max and you're like, yeah, this is close enough. It's, this, this captures that. Like, so like I know How you li- you. I know you like the scene where Denzel Washington grabs Jared Leto by the penis. But like is there another <laughs> scene that, that. is there another <laughs> scene that you liked in this movie? Were there other scenes in this movie? Um at all. Well, see, that, <laughs> There's that, a scene that, where they talk on a bridge and he's that uh, milk referencing scene where he goes to the I really I really I liked, liked his interactions with the corner lady. I liked the, the girl lady. in the police department. I like the teenage girl who sees Jared Leto, I liked mm-hmm. the scene involving the mile marker on the highway. Yeah, that's a good uh, scene. Yeah, that was a good scene. Um, you mean the one where Denzel is like following him, and then they he gets keep swapping sides. Yeah. 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 Basically, yeah, that's good. I basically liked yeah. any moment where Denzel looked at Jared Leto and Rami Malek like you fucking punks <laughs> who both have best actor <laughs> yes, Oscars. Yes. Like, who do you think you Jared are? Jared Leto is a supporting o- actor Oscar, to be clear. Whatever, um, but Denzel has one of those too. I was about to say, sure. And he's just he like, I cannot, like he, it feels like in Denzel's eyes, you can see his despair over the state of modern cinema. And that speaks to me. <laughs> in um, the last scene. Okay. That would, that'd be a great way for him to discover the spoiler in the last scene. Because Denzel does happen across what I would consider the spoiler of this movie. And I would just love the look on that face. Just be like, these fucks have Oscars. Yeah, we, we got <laughs> we got to talk about the ending right. here because right, so I don't think that there. Wall. Wait, well, I want to make one comment about the spoilers, which is like this movie needed a spoiler early on. This movie needed yes. something. It's holding on to everything until the very end, and I get why. Yeah. But like, there's nothing you going on until yep. that moment, and then you yep. get five more minutes of the movie. So here's it's even why it, it's even happened. so much so that um, zero personality to any of the murdered girls, which seems to be like oh yeah. This is a bad, uh, a bad movie for so, representation of people. Real bad. For, Real people. There's, there's two people. women in side character roles, and neither of them are white. So, Dave, I don't know what you're talking about. This is great. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So, just to, to bifurcate the non-spoiler section and the spoiler section, I'm going to do that by letting everyone know that I just read a headline that said, Scientists have taught spinach to send emails. So that is, uh, if you heard that, you David know, we're now spoiler territory. Yeah, like David it. should not be on Twitter during the <laughs> He likes the little Listen, things that he's... Uh, I, it's the little things, Katie, that I don't pay attention to. But right. uh, the what's interesting to me about this movie, I love, I love this kind of ending in really any genre, but uh, here, um, Denzel Washington <laughs> manufactures evidence to convince... Whoa, wait, you're skipping the first yeah, big twist. You can't get no, to the people, second people, twist. I guess okay. there's three. Twi- I guess there's three twists. Right? Okay, so the first I, twist I, is any, them going like out know. to the field. You have to yeah. talk about Rami Malek digging holes. 
The sequel yeah. to Shia LaBeouf's A lot of holes. <laughs> what about John in the hole? Where does this John fit into in the, the hole? Is over there. Throwing his parents It's in part the of the, the J-H-C-U. <laughs> <laughs> that joke is going to be so good once more people see that movie. Jared Leto <laughs> takes Remy Malek's Detective yes. Baxter out to where he says one of the dead girls is buried and he starts finally admits digging to doing holes. the murders. Yes, and uh, uh, but torments him and gets him to dig a whole bunch of different holes and to the point that Robbie Malek just turns around and hits him in the face with a shovel, killing him. Now, here's yep. the thing. We don't know. Jared Leto is not the murderer. I think yes. that's clear. Yes. Yes. Two people die. He, he enjoys pretending that he is two the people die a true crime fan, right? Two people die by cop in this movie, and that's the only murders we solve. He enjoys yep. cosplaying as a murderer yes. so much that it's weird that he doesn't just go murder people. <laughs> but it's like he wants the feeling of being a serial killer without actually having blood. Yeah, he wants hands. to still be able to go to Comic-Con every year, but he also right. loves playing yeah. serial killer. Dave, you pointing out that the only murders happen at the hands of cops and the fact that this movie does not deal with like police overreach at all. No, it doesn't. It did not occur to me. It is just like, well, we better... The important Better. thing is that we let these broken men feel like they've solved something. And I'm like, no, they didn't solve anything. <laughs> they killed another person. Denzel yeah. Washington shoots a girl. That's the one, one twist. That's the other twist. That comes about, like, you, the, the entire time, you know, you see this, the crime scene is supposed to be a triple murder. You see the two girls. You see them, like, searching. You're like, oh, what is he going to find? Is she going to be, like, crucified with a picture of Jared Leto on her chest or something? <laughs> And like Whoa. this, this previous, you know, this previous guy, they they find a, another suspect, and they just mention this one girl that Denzel Washington shot mentions this to him, and he commits suicide because he's so oh, scared. Yeah, I forgot. Like about I that. don't get it. Right? I don't, yeah, I don't get that either. Is but is the world the worst place because Albert Sparma is no longer in it? I don't know. We don't know. Um, we don't know anything about him. He well, he was a appliance <laughs> repairman that went to strip clubs very regularly and took the bus. I have nothing to hate about this guy. Fine. <laughs> he did have He's a, man a of weird, the people. He had a weird <laughs> obsession with serial killers. He studied them a little weird bit obsession. too closely. So do I. Like so do I. Podcasts. I have a weird weird obsession with serial killers. So your 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 thesis <laughs> is that if Albert Swama had the better fortune of being born 30 years later, he would just be a guy who's into serial killer podcasts. He would have now. a podcast. I'm yeah. saying yeah, and he would be if totally fine. If he had Malik, just left a review on Fighting in the War Room, he would <laughs> if Rami Malik hits me in the face with a shovel because I have long hair and weird facial hair and I'm into serial killers, I hope you, you guys aren't like, well. He was probably the killer. Those <laughs> cops had a good reason to hit him in the face with the shovel. I like, anyway, we're getting we're getting to the one the one moment in this movie that I really found interesting enough to justify recommending the whole thing. Um, again, if maybe you can't watch the Pelican Brief for some reason, <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, because someone's paying you not to. Um, but I, you know, at the end of the movie, Denzel Washington after giving this whole speech about how he can't let this stuff haunt him. He can't become like, like he can't let Baxter become like he has. He manufactures evidence that he sends to Rami Malek to sort of implicate Jared Leto, Albert Parma as being the killer. So Rami Malek can have some peace of mind as an emotional touch. I found that interesting, maybe more interesting than it deserves given the setup that leads up a to a red hair clip. However, the one thing, once I enjoyed it, I was like, huh, what a nice and, and wistful way of ending this movie. Um, unusually poignant for a serial killer story of this nature. I was like, wait a second. As soon as if it would actually... the serial killer kills again, Robbie Malik's going to be like, wait, what the fuck? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I got him. You wait, you're telling me somebody else is slitting women's throats? What, what are you talking about? A like, new uh, killer is... It just seems a like a short... 
a short-term problem. This is like when when my son is crying and my wife is giving me shit because I am just shoving a bottle in his mouth even though he's supposed to be weaning off the bottle. And she's like, this is a short-term problem for a longer-term, a short-term solution for a longer-term problem. But for me, it feels good in the moment. I'm going to go with it. Uh, <laughs> the little things, a know? parenting lesson. I, I, watched, <laughs> I watched the Netflix documentary, The Night Stalker, which is a four-part oh, yeah. documentary that is told about finding the Night Stalker from the perspective of the cops and got so mad because the third episode ends with it's like they're looking for the Night Stalker. They have no idea who it is. They think maybe they have a guy. They find this Mexican dude who, you know, like has a tangential relation to like one of the uh, locations. So they roll up on him and he's like, the cop who's telling the story is like, he's kind of like covered with tattoos. And I'm like, we asked you some questions. He's like, fuck you, cop. And I was like, you know, we have to ask you some questions about, you know, so your whereabouts, you're not in any trouble. And he told me to go fuck myself. So, you know, I gave him a little poke in the face. And then he was like, Richard Ramirez. And I'm like, that's the end of your fucking episode is the cops just beat a civilian and got the name of the Night Stalker. And that's your big conclusion. Yeah, it's it, it sours the rest of the narrative just like this. Like maybe it's because it was too in close to that, or maybe it's because my problem is between when Seven was released and now I've started looking at these things as real things. I'm just like, what was the point? But the movie, was... I don't like. No, this no, no. Movie, Denzel but... Washington at one point is showing Jerry Leto a photo of the dead bodies. He's like, why is that? And that's the extent of his questioning because he's not a good detective. But that's how I the feel. The police work is very poor. <laughs> that's how I feel about the movie. It's there in front of me. I've watched it all. I'm just like, why is that? Why is that? But isn't this a condemnation of the police? I don't, I don't yes, care for this movie. Yeah, but sure, oh. sure. The, like, you're not supposed you to walk away from is, this though? movie being like Denzel looking out for the younger generation. Good. I don't think it's trying to make you feel one way or another about the police. I think it's only concerned about these characters. It's not like interested in this but being like an endemic thing among cops. Yeah, but I don't oh, think... Oh, okay, like, okay. I don't think this movie is trying to get you to reflect on the role It of doesn't end with a defund the police title card, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> we find out more about defunding the police yeah. at this website. The little things... <laughs> still time to add that. <laughs> the little things in Jared Leto. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, the um, twist is not satisfying is at all. And <laughs> I think that... I think that uh, this is one of those cases where everything that all of my my cohorts said uh, negatively about this movie <laughs> is true, um, and and yet I uh, enjoyed watching it and would do it again. If this you were do if it this again? were a movie, I mean, the problem is that this movie will die because it's not on cable. Like once upon a time, this would be will die because the serial killer is still out there. Week. Yeah. It's, well, it's, <laughs> It would be on TNT three times a week, and I would come into it at the various intervals, and uh, would enjoy would enjoy it. That is but, uh, that's an interesting thing that I haven't really thought about. These direct to HBO Max movies, they're not going to be just playing in rotation. I mean, maybe they will well, on HBO some, proper. It's true. It's true, and uh, yeah, that is true. But I think you know some of these uh, some of these streaming services have started introducing Live channels. Needs, yeah. Um, which mm-hmm. you know, Pluto great, TV, I'm one sure. of the great uh, <laughs> No, fuck Pluto TV We shilled for them for like a year And they never sent us a dime I think Peacock so, also has channels Yeah, we're, we're all in on Peacock, Tubi yeah. now oh, <laughs> Yeah um, I have important news, which is that the Pelican Brief appears to be on HBO Max, the exact whoa. same platform. Oh, little competing. things. I can't get it to load on my computer right now because I'm running GarageBand. Yeah, but, but I, what I swag does Max. Pelican Brief have that uh, awards people for the little yeah, things can send me I in the mail in a really creepy package? Our civilian, our just civilian like audience should know. <laughs> our civilian audience out there should know that we did get the red hair clip in the mail. And my daughter's yeah. been wearing it, and that's probably <laughs> weird too. 
from I our mean, good friend Denzel, and my <laughs> my wife immediately put it on the street. Uh, having wow. not seen the movie, but uh, now that's you such know. a weird thing to send people. <laughs> well, weird what's thing. fucked up is that is that they send some people on the West Coast, uh, Jared Leto. God. <laughs> that's Albert even that's even Sparta more disturbing. Himself. Yeah, just pieces of his body. Oh. Little things, guys. Not a not a great start to the HBO Max ex- well, brand Woman experiment. Start. Well, this is the 2021 experiment. This is the true yeah. all the whole slate going to HBO Max this year. This is this isn't off. great. We got you know some Tom February. Is there an HBO February fe- February release? Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, Judas and the Black Sweet. Messiah. Cool. We'll get, yeah, we'll get we'll to Judas and the Black in a Messiah. Weeks. That's, that's more I think, promising. I think, I think we can all agree. I think we will all agree that that one has. I think we're uh, gonna. We're going I think we're gonna do a lot of surfing of the HBO Max wave, uh, just because right after Juice and the Black Messiah, we've got the one-two punch of Justice League and Godzilla versus Kong. March, baby! Wow, <laughs> Dave season is kicking off. Dear God. <laughs> <laughs> That does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week. David is going to be fine despite the snowstorm and not feeling well. We promise. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people. Wait, what do you know? <laughs> <laughs> Jared Leto just came and knocked on my door and told me. I don't know. I just listened. I, tell people who you are. Uh, I'm Matt Patches, senior editor at Polygon. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. We have a website that some people use to listen to the show. It's called fightinginthewarroom.com. It also has archives of old episodes, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. Okay, confirmed. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I, uh, what am I doing? Right, like I've been Albert writing so much about Sundance. Right now. <laughs> I'm Albert Sparma. I, what's, everyone, I want to hear everyone out there send us audio files of your best Albert Sparma impressions. What voice is he doing? I don't know. What is ever? What is ever? Uh, but there was a great interview with uh, Denzel Washington. Again, I cannot remember who was doing it. Maybe it was Kevin Poloey. I can't remember. But he was yeah. asking um, what, like, if Denzel had, if Jared Leto had tried any of his method acting shit, like sending people dead rats on Suicide Squad to Jared Leto. And Jared Leto was like, he would not have no, tried Denzel that. Washington, Denzel Washington. Denzel right. Washington was like, he would not have tried that. There would have been, like, a knock on his door and someone would have been like... <laughs> No, <laughs> we don't play that way with Denzel. Um, and he brings that energy to the whole film. I mean, both of them do. They bring their own respective oh, energy God. to no, the film. No, we're done. We're done with the segment. Uh, right. So what are we not done with? That's right, Sundance. Uh, <laughs> you can read about Sundance, all the movies that we saw on IndieWire, and you can hear us talking about them in the past on this episode you just listened to. And you can write about uh, how you felt about it on iTunes at Fighting in the War. Leave us a review when we've done the show. Or I get to talk about Godzilla vs. Kong. My name is Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7EM. Also on the Storm, a Lost Rewatch podcast where we are time skipping through season five. Come join us there. Uh, and I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Fantasy Fair and on the Little Gold Men podcast where this week we're talking about the Golden Globe and SAG nominations. They're coming. Let's see how many Jared Leto got. Do you guys remember the story about Jared Leto being at like a silent meditation retreat when COVID started and like yes. he went in and then he came out and the whole world had changed? I do I do like that of all the people who could have done that, it was him. I also need to, to recommend everyone read, I think it was a Rolling Stone profile from a couple years ago about Jared Leto's compound. 
out in LA. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Uh, all right. Go check that out. Okay. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H and we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R where you can tell us your fun shared legal facts or you can answer this week's lightning round question which was... In honor of a glitch in the matrix, what film's reality would you most want to be trapped in? And please send your Jared, your Albert Sparma imitations to Dave at uh, gmail.com, whatever the fuck his email address is. No, send them to Dave at gmail.com. That would be perfect. <laughs> Whoever that is, enjoy it, guy. <laughs> I'm Albert Sparma. Excuse me. <laughs> Can I get that Shirley Temple to go? Can I get that Shirley Temple to go? God, as a longtime Shirley Temple drinker, I found that offensive. I'm sorry, but that happens to Dave at gmail.com all the time. <laughs> and he deserves it. This is the hardest I've left on the show since the Jeffrey Tubin days. <laughs> now it's going to start all over again. Thank you for listening. We'll be back talking to you next week. There are real boner connections between these two episodes. <laughs> Someday we'll find it. The boner connection. Come along, I'll tell you when I'm done. Wonder what gets found. Pooba pooba. Wonder what gets found. My fair lady. I'm done.